welcome to the Pitbull Patty Show. I'm your host, Patty Stuckler. We're keeping it real here with straight talk and sharing true stories that will inspire you to change your life. Are you ready for this? Because here we go. I decided to do something a little bit different for this week's episode. My podcast just keeps morphing and changing, and now we're in season two, of course. But I kind of see that as a good thing, and my guest today actually kind of talked me into kind of swerving out of my lane of real estate into a <laughs> into a little bit more uh, of, of um, actually into some really interesting, inspiring things. My guest today has a book coming out that is that I've read and is fantastic. So I thought, you know, he's absolutely right. Um, as much as I love to teach people about how to buy real estate, how to sell real estate, how to do well with, uh, you know, financially and making investments, and, and also lots of home tips. I think all those things are all great things, but I also think there's life in the middle somewhere in between the transactions. So um, I really like to highlight people that are inspiring, uh, like like my guest uh, today. He is an Emmy Award-winning helicopter cameraman for The Deadliest Catch. He's done all kinds of shows, did Survivor, Amazing Race, the Super Bowl, my personal favorite, which is The uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> Go figure. So, um, you know, I, I want, really wanted to have him back. He's been on my show once before. But this time I wanted him specifically to talk about his upcoming book and that's now on ebook and that's how I read it. So you can go on Amazon, but it's a great read. And then the hard copies are coming out, uh, I think, any day now. My guest today is David Allen Arnold and his book is called Help From Above, How I Went From Sweeping the Floors to Painting the Sky. I am so honored and privileged to have you on again. Welcome, Dave. <laughs> Pitbull Patty, I'm a big fan of yours. And <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for going outside of your normal routine to, to cover some different kind of stories. Yeah, well, you had to talk me into it, didn't you? I mean, it wasn't easy, was it? <laughs> well, you know, you know, we can talk real estate because that's an important topic. And it's it's something where you always kind of explain to me the way real estate works because I don't do it all the time and it's just a baffling mystery to me how the world works like how do I get my house and so we can talk about that but I I know that you have other interests as well and you you have a lot of really fascinating life experiences that I I just love to hear about well so so speaking of like real estate I know in your book you had a really cool chapter called I think it was called the dirty deal and you talk about what I would kind of describe as a unscrupulous realtor so tell me about that uh, experience because it sounds like it was um, pretty crazy it was crazy I brought a listing that I found on the internet to a real estate agent because I thought well I can't buy the house myself I got to have someone that knows how to do it and he laughed at me. He laughed out loud. And he said, what, did you find this on the internet? <laughs> and I could understand his reaction because it was the nicest house that I have ever seen. And they were selling it for less than the price of a crack house. Wow. In Comp wow. And 
That's crazy. I it was so it was a crazy listing, and uh, I said no problem. I said whatever. I guess it's not real. Uh, you you just take me to show me houses that are for sale. We'll do that. And uh, so that when I went to his office, he had this really puzzled look on his face, and he handed me some papers and he said, "You know what? That house is for sale." I had to research it and he took me to see his listings first. No problem. They were fine. Nothing I was very excited about. But when he turned the corner into what is now my driveway, he slammed on the brakes and he (laughs) grabbed his papers and he looked at it and he looked at the house and he looked at his papers and he looked at the house and he said, they're selling this for that? I mean, he couldn't believe the price. And honestly, he had driven us to one of the nicest homes in the entire community. And it was for sale for less than the price of a crack house. Wow. And I I looked at I took one look at the outside and the inside of the house. I said, let's go back and I want to make an offer. And he said, oh, Dave, no, I don't think you should do that. This is a foreclosure. Banks don't do deals on weekends. They're just going to use your little offer to get a bigger offer from someone else. And I said, well, I want to make an offer. So we went back to his office. And I'm kind of proud of myself for what I did next. He, He handed me his standard offer agreement, which was like 30 pages long. Half of which is is clauses that I can use to get out of the deal if I change my mind. Mm-hmm. So I took his thirty pages and I xed out in black marker. I put a line through every single page and then I initialed it. And the only thing I left was the price and my name and my signature. So if they accepted my offer. And unbeknownst to me, the house was uh, was had a you know a fire underneath it, and it was it was burning from an old coal mine. <laughs> Whatever happened, if the house was eaten by termites and it collapsed under its own weight, I was buying the rubble, <laughs> no matter what. And. I got the house. So, so like as is no termination, no anything, just no inspections, no termination. You're buying. I scratched out every single clause <laughs> and I said, I want this house. And so they accepted my offer. However, my real estate agent did not give the bank my check my deposit. And he claimed that he lost the deposit check. It was a foreclosure. And my friends who do know real estate told me beforehand, they said, Dave, foreclosure deals are very tricky. You got to have everything happen right on time, absolutely Mm -hmm. perfectly. And even then it, it may not work just because they're, they're so tricky to, to, to execute. Mm Mm-hmm. And he, quote, unquote, lost my deposit. So the bank didn't get the money from my offer. And in the meantime, I met the new neighbors. And they said, wow, you know what's weird, Dave, is after you looked at the house, it turned into Grand Central Station. So my agent showed me the house. He told me not to put an offer in. 
And then he went back to his office and he brought all of his clients and friends out to, to see the house. Then he quote unquote lost my deposit check so that the deal would then fall apart. And then he could either buy the house himself or sell it to whoever he wanted. Unbelievable. I, I think normally that's what would have happened, but I'm kind of a spiritual guy and I, I can honestly say that this was an unlikely, unlikely circumstance. I, I don't think it was an accident that I stumbled across this house. I think that there was a higher power at work and I, I did have help from someone up there because the bank, of all things, the uncaring bank, you know, with people who I've never met, they stood by my offer and they waited for the funds, even though uh, the funds didn't come when they were supposed to. That's amazing because I know with uh, foreclosures here, it's typically three days. You have three days, 72 hours <laughs> once they accept your offer to have that deposit, um, you know, and it's got to be a cashier's uh, check or a wire. And it's typically in their uh, title company of the bank's choosing. And then if you don't have it in, that's just one of many ways, like your friend told you, that the bank can then boot you out. They can say, oh, well, that's it. You didn't abide by this. You know, now we're free to take somebody else's offer or a better offer or whatever. They can kick you right out of the contract. So yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't think it was luck that I got this house. And I know, I know for sure that the agent tried to screw me out of the house and it was, it was kind of disgusting, but I mean, honestly, he, he, uh, he knew he was selling one of the nicest homes in the community for a fraction of its value. So he, he knew I was getting a deal of a lifetime. Yeah. Well, and it's such a shame to hear stories like that it really is. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, most realtors do a really good job. I do believe that in my heart, most of them, even if they're not that experienced or whatever may be the case, most of them are good people like anybody else. And, and they really do hold to high standards. But it's just such a shame when you hear those stories because it makes realtors in general, you know, makes it just gives a black eye when you, you know, in an industry that otherwise, you know, should have a good reputation. But so that's, you know, what, what year was that that, that, uh, that you bought that house? That was 2009. Wow, so after and the crash. It was after the crash, and um, I bought the house for less than half of its uh, prior value. The, the last owner paid, uh, many years beforehand, paid over twice what I paid. Wow. And um, when people hear how much I paid for my house, they, they just kind of they fall out of their chairs. It's just unbelievable that this even happened. Well, you have such an interesting story. You're, you know, I read your book cover to cover. It, it was fascinating. The most riveting story, or certainly one of, because you've got a lot of them in there. But one of the ones I liked the best was you talk about flying. Um, you were you were doing um, camera work for the Deadliest Catch, and you were over the uh, Bering Sea, and you tell us kind of pick it up from there because that's such a great story. Well, thank you. Uh, first of all, I should be dead. Uh, none of us should have survived that storm. And by the time we realized that we were in trouble, we were already doomed. We were trapped offshore miles uh, across the Bering Sea with not enough fuel to get home. And because it was night, 
our pilot couldn't see. And we basically, if you, if you check off the boxes that cause a helicopter accident, they were all checked. We had every problem you can have just about, uh, and we shouldn't have survived. So our pilot got lost and he actually couldn't find the island where the town of Dutch Harbor is. So we were running out of fuel. We were lost in a blizzard. He couldn't see anything. And, you know, that's just to give you a frame of reference. That's what killed JFK Jr. in his airplane crash. That's what killed everyone in the book and then the movie, The Perfect Storm. So we were trapped. It was a death trap. And at, at one point, I figured out what was going on. And I told our pilot, I said, you go back to our boats right now. Because he was, he was trying to leave the boats and get back to shore so we could have harbor from the storm and refuel the helicopter. But he, he wasn't finding the island. And we were almost out of time. And I said, you go back to our boats right now. And that was a fateful decision because he knew that by going back to where our boats were, we may not have enough fuel. Most likely, we'll not have enough fuel to get back to the island if we could find it. But I just had a very strong feeling that the, the right thing to do was to go back to our friends. We couldn't land where they were, but at least we would have someone who cares about us and who could help us. And so we did that. And as we're flying back to the boats, um, it just dawned on me. I, I said, tell the skippers to uh, throttle up their boats and head towards Dutch Harbor with all of their lights on. And the, if you've watched The Deadliest Catch, you know the, the Bering Sea crab boats have massive stadium lights on top of them that light up the ocean for miles in front of them. And so uh, Captain Sig was the first one that figured out what the problem is that we were having. And so right, he didn't even skip a beat. He throttled up his engines, he turned on his lights, and he, put, he pointed his boat at Dutch Harbor so that our pilot could see which way to go. And that's basically how we were able to find the island and land before the engine quit. That's, that's the only thing that kept us alive was uh, Captain Sig and his lights. And, um, you know, our pilot skill and, and also his willingness to do something that he probably knew wasn't going to end well for us. But he, but he did it and, and we, we escaped. We got home. And, uh, yeah, and then well, the, the kicker later was when I asked my pilot, I said, where were you going when we turned around? So right up until I told him to go back to our boats, he was flying in a direction across the ocean. He was trying to get to the island. When we got to the island later in the day, I asked him, I said, where do you think we were going before we turned around? And he said, you know what? I was so confused. I think we were heading offshore. So he so, had like vertigo? He had vertigo and he didn't have uh, any instruments to tell him where the island was. And because the storm had come upon us in the dark, he didn't see it coming. So by the time we realized we were in the storm, there was no escape from it. We, we now can't see the islands. And so he did his best to try and f find them. But in hindsight, he looked back and he said, you know what? I, 
I think I was actually going the wrong way and we were going further into the Bering Sea. So if he had not turned around and gone back to our boats, I wouldn't be here today. Wow. Well, I mean, and you told him to turn around. I mean, if you hadn't have been so uh, determined that, hey, you need to turn around, I mean, you all, three. there were three of you, right? You had the producer? It was, it was a fateful choice. On the... On the and, yeah, ahead. we had a, a, our director of our show was with us, and we had uh, myself and the pilot, and it was a fateful decision to go back, to take all the time to fly back over to where our boats were in the middle of the ocean knowing that that's probably the fuel you would need to go back to the island. Yeah. And, and once that's gone, you're just going to flame out and crash in the ocean. So that was a tough call, but he did it. And when we looked back on it later, he said, you know what, I, I think we were going the wrong way. And so turning around was the only thing that, that saved us. And it was total darkness too, right? Total darkness. Pitch, pitch black. And- Normally, if you're flying over the ocean, you'll see a storm coming over the horizon. You say, hey, guys, there's a storm coming. We've got to fly back to the island and, and put the aircraft in the hangar uh, so, we don't, so we don't die. But at, <laughs> yeah. at, night, at night, you can't see the storm coming. And that was what happened to us is we didn't know the storm was there until it was too late. Until so you were in it. I, you know, um, I think you know my, my dad was an Air Force One pilot and he, um, even after he retired from the Air Force, he always had a plane. So when I was a kid growing up, you know, he always had a plane when he was in the Air Force and then after uh, he retired. And I can remember being a kid, I don't remember how old I was, but I was probably in middle school. And I remember I was flying from, I don't know, Nebraska or somewhere with my dad and his partner, who was a business partner, because he had retired from the Air Force, had started a real estate company, um, of all things. And then he, um, the, his partner was also uh, an Air Force pilot. So, I mean, that's how he met him. And they went into business together at one point and so forth. So they were coming back. And so my dad was the pilot and, and uh, Dennis was the co-pilot. And so, and I'm in the back, and I don't know if there was any of the rest of us kids, but I remember being very aware at some point what was going on with my dad and with Dennis, his co-pilot, that we were flying into Maryland Airport, which was a little tiny airport in Maryland. I'm sure it still exists today. They didn't want to fly into like Baltimore or a bigger airport, um, which is what they would have had to do under the circumstances of this night because the weather was so bad there was the visibility was horrible. There was a storm we were coming in, but they didn't want it. The cars were parked at, you know, Maryland airport. He didn't want to drive, you know, he didn't want to drive an hour, get all that, all that tech attacks, whatever. I don't know. So they use, they, they flew, they landed as a, with an instrument landing as opposed to a visual landing. And I can remember being very aware that they were really hyped up, super, you know, intense. And, like they were doing something that was scary, that was risky, you know, but they were doing it. And why he did it now, when I think about it, I was a kid. Why did he do that? I don't know. He should have just gone to the bigger airport where it would have been safer. But I remember when they landed, they high-fived each other. They were like super pumped and the adrenaline was just a mile high because they had done something that was really pretty scary and risky and... But it was an instrument landing, like you're saying, with JFK, when you can't see and you have that vertigo and you just, you cannot see. So he was relying strictly on his instruments. 
and we landed safely at Maryland Airport. And, you know, um, I thought about that when I read your read that chapter, thinking about, you know, how dangerous flying in general can be. You know, you don't realize all the time uh, some of these things, but that's, you know, that's my experience. But, you know, with you, it seems like you always have this, uh, it's almost like you're, because you've been doing what you've been doing for so long, and it's so high risk with, you know, it, the, the cable lines and things that you can run into on a helicopter and make you crash and burn, let alone st- uh, storms. So, I mean, how do you do that on a daily basis or, you know, all the time, especially since you do have a little one? Well, uh, first of all, of all the pilots on planet Earth, your dad was one of the most elite pilots. There's there's millions of pilots, but there's only a handful that fly the president. The well, vice that's president. true. <laughs> that is true. So that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Good um, point. And... You know, there's, um, I definitely wouldn't do dangerous missions with my little one in the helicopter, but I do believe that human beings are, are made to take risks. We're built for adventure. We're wired for it. And I think that the reason people argue so bitterly on Facebook about politics is because that's missing from their lives. They they live a life free of risk, free of danger. They live in gated communities. They drive fancy cars with side impact airbags to secured buildings with armed guards. And they don't face risk. Uh, there, there is no adventure in their life. And then when they get onto Facebook, they're really out of balance. And somebody says something that pisses them off and they just start fighting tooth and nail because they don't have a meaningful quest in their life. It's almost like that muscle is not getting used. That idea of, of enduring danger for a, for a reason, for a cause is missing. And, it, and I do think it, it will, if you live that way, it will tend to throw you out of balance and you are a little bit more on edge than you should be when someone tells you who they voted for on social media. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know, and I don't think that the average person has to be, uh, I don't think the average person has to do such a um, risky, uh, death-defying job like you to even push themselves into doing scary things. Like, for example, just thinking of myself with the podcast, starting the podcast last year, when you put yourself out there, you know, into the universe, doing something, whatever it is, it could be writing a book, it could be like me podcasting, it could be whatever, painting uh, and putting it in in an exhibit, you are subjecting yourselves to critique and to criticism and, and and in fact I had a couple people rib me about uh some of the audio some of the video that I've done with a few of my uh podcast episodes uh like this one where I will have video available of the conversation I had big white uh you know headphones on and uh they're really comfortable so I love them but <laughs> and I use them a lot <laughs> but I had a, more than a, a few people kind of kid me about my snow bunny uh 
<laughs> earphones. So I was like, oh, well, okay, I guess I won't wear those anymore. I mean, I can take it. I'm a middle child of a large family, so trust me, I can take it. But but I was thinking, you know, it is it is you put yourself out there, and then people say, well, who does she think she is, or why is she doing that, or in your case, you know, is he nuts? But I totally agree with agree with your thinking, and I love your quote. And I hope, let me get this right. I know I've read your quote before one time uh, that said, um, I don't fear dying. I fear not living. David Allen Arnold, right? <laughs> I hope I got that quote right. <laughs> but I love that quote. I, I truly do. I think that you embody that and and i think you don't have to be you know like a, a job like yours to at least take some of that into and and not and to say you know to hell with it i'm going to do what i want to do and you can think whatever you want about me and that's fine and i can think what i want about you it goes both ways right yeah i, I think <laughs> um i do think it's healthy to take risk and i think that most people never do i think most people live comfortably they make the safe choices, which is good. It means they have financial security. It means um, there's no danger to them of losing their house or losing their life. Um, but I, me personally, I think that that leaves us wanting something. That leaves our spirit yearning for an adventure and a meaningful fight. And so... Wherever you find that, if it's in real estate, if it's in podcasting, if, uh, if you learn to fly and that's what you love to do, um, I think anything where you, you take a risk and you serve someone else, I think is very rewarding. It's, it's in, a, in a backwards way, I think it, it, is, it enriches us you know, beyond money. Yeah, and I, vice versa, I, I think you can make money and, and have sort of an empty hole in your life that isn't fulfilled. And I, I don't know that one is worse than the other. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I mean, John and I, my husband and I have been self-employed pretty much forever. I mean, <laughs> like 30 years or something ridiculous. I mean, so it's all I know is to live with no safety net. You know, live with uh, protecting myself, making sure I'm taking care of myself and 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 him and, and vice versa. And it's like, you know, I find that normal and, you know, the way I, I choose to live. I'd rather live that way than, than uh, play it safe. But I understand what you're saying. You know, some people do want to play it safe and probably the average person does. But I think you should not play it safe to the point where you don't live life to the fullest. Right. Well, I, I, I love that you're teaching other women to do what you do because I, I think that's important. I, I think that especially for women, they can sometimes easily become trapped in a bad situation that they either are afraid to get out of or don't know how to get out of. And by you teaching them to take the risks and to put themselves out there and to make real money in real estate, you're giving them a power and, and that can mean freedom from a bad situation. It, it can mean freedom from abuse or freedom from being taken advantage of or, or being stuck in a bad situation. And uh, so I, I think it's, it's one of the most important things that we can do is to give someone a helping hand and, and teach them how to have an adventure of their own. And, and 
open the door to, to get to a better place. Well, I, I thank you for saying that because, uh, as you know, I do have a book I'm working on that'll be coming out this year, later this year, called Property Mamas, and it is about really uh, teaching women to to get past that fear of investing in real estate that they can they can forget the you know candles and cosmetics. Uh, not that not that there's anything wrong with that, but but why not you know make build real wealth through real estate if you can. And and a lot of what I find is men have a much higher tendency to take risks than women do uh, for whatever reason. Don't know why. That's just what I've seen from a lot of my clients that men are much more likely to uh, jump into real estate, make investments, feel like they can do it than, than women. Women tend to be far more cautious. And maybe it's because we have the children bear the children. I don't know why that is, but, um, you know, I want women to understand that to not be afraid. You can, you can buy property, you can buy investment property, you know, you can make money from it, whether you hold it, sell it, flip it. I don't care what you do with it. You can make money in real estate. And, and like you said, you can, uh, really gain independence, financial independence from doing that. So, uh, whatever, whatever you're doing in life, it's, it's a really cool thing to be able to teach people that. Well, and, and, you know that if a woman goes into real estate and gets out of her comfort zone, um, she's going to be told to give it up. She's going to get bad deals. People will take advantage of her. So it's, it's good for someone to learn from a strong figure like you to not only take that risk, but also to be, be tough and to, f- to find their pit bull <laughs> patty so that, that when they, they get a wrong deal, they either stick to their guns and get it fixed or they, they walk away and find another deal, but they handle it and they keep moving forward. And I think that's, that's so important for people to not only learn how to get out of their comfort level and to take a little, little, uh, danger and embrace adventure, but also to keep moving, you know, when you fly into that storm or when you run into that dirty deal with a corrupt agent who tries to steal it out from under you to, uh, to persevere and and still go after what you want. Yeah. And, and people should know, you know, I wasn't always a pit bull. I mean, that, that's not something that, uh, I, I wasn't born that way. It's, it's through, uh, doing things and uh, pushing yourself that you gain that confidence, that you gain that strength once you get, you know, and you get beat up a little bit here and there. And that, and right. that actually helps you because when people kind of, you know, uh, knock you down a little bit and you dust yourself off and get back up and, you know, I failed at plenty of things like, like you talk about in your book, some of your failures. I've certainly failed at plenty of things in my life and, um, you know, but I, I don't look at it like, I look at a failure as, I, I had a failure of, of buying a property, just a quick story, in 2005, I bought this property, my husband and I did, and um, and I had this, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll put this extra property on it, it was three acres, we'll build another uh, house on it, we did that. Long story short, we sold it after the, you know, the the property all just fell out. The market fell out. We sold it and we lost about $115,000 is what Ouch. real money, not, not what it was worth versus what it was worth now. Actual money that we spent and is gone forever. And I mean, 
yeah, at the time it was very stressful. But at the same time, I realized it's it's a hundred and ten thousand dollar, you know, or a hundred and fifteen thousand dollar education. It's like going to college. It's two years worth of college at a, at, a, at, a, at Harvard or something. You know, I mean, you just you learn. Okay, I overpaid. I overimproved. I did this. I did that. You learn the lessons the hard way, and then then the next time you make a hundred and fifteen thousand dollars on your next one, which I've done since then. So well. It'd be very helpful for someone to learn from your story because when then when that happens to them, they can see a way out of it. They can see a reason to keep going. So if they know that you turned out okay and you're still successful, then when they hit that wall or they fly into that perfect financial storm of no escape, then they can still have hope that, okay, I'm, I'm going to make it even though things are really tough right now, I'm, I'm going to just keep going to get to the other side. That's right. Never give up. <laughs> right? I mean, it's so true. It sounds corny, but it's the truth. I mean, you just have to believe in yourself and want to live life to the fullest and just get out there and do things and, and be okay with it. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes. I mean, and you got to be okay with that. Well, the, the next generation has to hear those stories. So that's why there's so many stories in my book <clears throat> of me messing up and doing the wrong thing because I, the way people might look at you as Pitbull Patty and this top realtor and super successful and does everything right, um, learning a story where you didn't do everything right or a story where you did everything wrong, but you still made it to where you are today is so important for someone who's just starting out. And in my case, if, if a kid wants to work in television but just thinks that, oh, well, if, if you are flying in a helicopter over the Super Bowl, you must just be the, the best cameraman on earth. Unlike all the other cameramen, you must just be the top. But the truth is, I'm more flawed than most. So I really want people to know all the mistakes I made on my way to the Super Bowl so that if that's something that they dream of doing or or might consider, then they can have a little glimmer of hope of, oh, okay, well, if, if Dave did three stupid things, but he still wound up filming the Super Bowl uh, in front of that crowd – then, then I could do that. I can make if if he can make it. Then I I know I can handle this, even though it it'll be a tough road to get there. Well, it's it is truly inspiring, and I think you're absolutely right. I think when people read it, they will be very inspired by your story. Uh, so people should go out and check it out. Go to Amazon. It's help from above. How I went from sweeping the floors to painting the sky, by David Allen Arnold, and it is part of a trilogy it is a prequel to your book two which will be coming out in a few months down the road and then eventually book three correct correct so <laughs> uh it, i i do feel that book one is a story of mistakes and miracles you know so me me buying this house in the clouds uh is unlikely and i did everything wrong to get here but here i am i i still wound up in this amazing, magical house above the city of Los Angeles. We're actually in the clouds today. So if, if you're in L.A. and you're listening to this podcast and you see those clouds 
above you in the sky, there's a house in those clouds. That's where I'm sitting. And so book one is a story of how I, I began in a humble way of, of sweeping the floor. That was my job. And I wound up working on all the world's biggest TV shows and some movies. And book two, when we get there, will be a whole different kind of adventure. But as always, it, it, it'll start with me making one mistake after another. Well, I think it's terribly exciting. And you um, really convinced me to go outside of my uh, lane, my real estate lane, and really <laughs> go into, you know, really, uh, I, I think it's worth it. I think inspiring people, as well as teaching people how to do things, whether it's buying and selling real estate, or or decorating their home, or finding out more about themselves, um, just to, to inspire someone to be able to reach reach the heights uh, of things that you've done, or anyone else, I think is worth it. So um, thank you so much, Dave, for coming on. I just really want to, um, I want people to go check it out because they're going to really enjoy it. And I can't wait for book two to come out. So <laughs> my, my pleasure. And, and thank you so much for having me on. And uh, in closing, I, I just want to say, you know, we all admire you and your success in real estate, how great you are at what you do. Um, but I look forward to hearing more of your stories of your struggles when things were tough, when things weren't right, when, when you had every reason to quit, but you kept going to get to where you are. I, I think those are some of the best stories, and I, and I think those are the stories that will help so many other people to maybe follow in your footsteps or wherever they're going, maybe just to keep going forward knowing that you made it. Well, I will definitely keep that in mind, and I will try to share some more of those those bumps along the road and uh, along my journey. So I'll I'll definitely try to do more of that. How about that? <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll be listening. Thank you so okay. much. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dave. Well, this wraps up this episode of the Pitbull Patty Show, where we are keeping it real, not just in real estate, but with real people like Dave. Until next time. Thank you.